So I'll pray for us as we get started this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we study that gospel this morning. We study how you called the Apostle Paul and you saved him out of an incredible life of hatred towards the church and made him your apostle. And you gave him the gospel to preach. And we will study those things this morning. Lord, open our eyes and teach us from your word and may the Holy Spirit work in our minds and hearts this morning through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in Galatians 1, 11 through 24 this morning. And I say this is one of those interesting passages because this is one of those passages, if you're reading through, you tend to kind of read right through, right? Well, let me just tell you what we're going to study this morning. We're going to talk about the life of the Apostle Paul before he was saved, how he persecuted the church, what God brought him out of, how God saved Paul (coughs) and made him a missionary to the Gentiles, and the gospel message that Paul preached. So Paul is going to defend the gospel this morning. He's going to tell us that he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ and the gospel he preached was true. So those are some of the important points we want to take away out of this passage this morning that the gospel Paul preached to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, everywhere. The gospel Paul preached did not have any human input. However, he received, and that's because he received that gospel directly from Jesus Christ. And in the course of Paul's defending the gospel, he's going to tell us about his salvation and conversion story and how the Lord set him apart for the ministry to the Gentiles. So let's just talk for a minute a little bit about the background of this man, the Apostle Paul. You know, he was Saul before he became Paul. So I wanted to read a few background passages this morning because the Word of God is so important. So I'm going to start with Philippians 3, verses 2 through 6, and it's in your handout, but this is, I would say, this is Paul's CV, that is, before Christ, before his conversion. Philippians 3, verses 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. So let me just stop there a moment. Paul was dealing with the same problem in all of the churches, right? He talks about the false circumcision in Philippi. That's the same problem he's dealing with in Galatia. The Judaizers, we'll talk more about that, but those who say you have to be circumcised to be saved, kind of like messages we may hear nowadays. You must do X, Y, and Z. You have to be baptized to be saved or whatever. Paul says that's the false gospel. Anyway, pick it up, verse 3. For we, that is us, believers, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Aren't those the marks of a Christian, a true Christian? You worship in the Spirit of God, you glory, all your glory is in Christ Jesus and you put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in Him. So here's Paul's testimony. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now again, this is his pre-Christian days. Circumcised the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So we know Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was trained by the best Hebrew scholars of the day. He says, I'm from Benjamin. I am a Pharisee. The Pharisees sprang up in the, what we call the intertestamental period between the time the Old and the New Testaments were written. And they sprang up as a sect among the Jews because they were zealous for the law of God. They were zealous that the nation had forgotten the law of God, but yet you know what they became. And Paul says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm the best of the Pharisees there is. As to keeping the Mosaic law, there's none better than me. Let's, let's move on. And, and he goes on even here to say, as, as to zeal, his zeal in Judaism, he persecuted the church. So let's go to Acts 7. <clears throat> we're, gonna, we're gonna pick up at the end of Acts 7, and this part of Acts is where Peter is just, a, I mean, not Peter, but um, Stephen is just about to be stoned. So, you know, Stephen was one of the first deacons in the early church. He, it, it describes, Luke describes him in Acts chapter 6 as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And many signs and wonders were being done through the ministry of Stephen. And the Jews drug him before their council and Stephen had given this great testimony as to the work of God in the history of redemption. And we're picking it up at the end of Acts 7. <clears throat> but being full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, this is the Jews, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul, our Paul, was standing there, standing there as they're throwing their robes at his feet as they're, as they're executing, murdering Stephen. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So Paul was there. Paul was there. He heard it all. He saw it all. And he gave consent to it. Let's, let's go continue on Acts 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. On, and on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the Christians were scattered, right? But the apostles stayed. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. I don't think that sentence can be lost on us. Can you kind of picture this? I, when, I, when I read this sentence, I think about the Gestapo, in Poland, rounding up the Jews. I think about, you know, the story of Tori, Corrie Ten Boom and her family, how they hid the Jews. But I see Paul as a man who was like that. He was bent on destroying the church. He was, with all of his zeal, bent on exterminating 
this false religion, as he, would, as he would have said. And he went house to house. He took men and women out of their houses. Can you imagine that? He had them. If he didn't do it himself, he had people working under him who took them out of their houses and threw them into prison. And likely some of them uh, were executed. But God, but God, isn't this an amazing story? Acts 9, chapter, uh, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, <clears throat> whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This, again, is an amazing story. You know, Luke is writing this, and Luke was Paul's traveling companion, so Luke had the firsthand information of what happened, but it's a really pretty short summary statement, in it. but this is the conversion of this very man we just read about in the previous chapter who was going house to house, dragging Christians out, trying to exterminate the church of Jesus Christ. But now he meets on the road to Damascus the very one that he is fighting against, we don't know everything Jesus said, but I also think it's quite amazing what the Lord said to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know, the Lord was gentle still and merciful to this man because he had a purpose, as we're going to read in our Galatians passage for Paul's life. So let's go on down to verse 17 of chapter 9. <clears throat> so you know the story is he was taken into Damascus and the Lord told Ananias, who was a faithful believer, Ananias you got to go to Paul because he, this man is waiting for you. Can you imagine being Ananias? Again, you think about my analogy, World War II. Maybe you're Corey Ten Boom or her father Ten Boom, and the Lord comes and says, I need you to go and speak to General so-and-so who's like the head of the SS because he's been saved. And Lord, how can I? He's just been trying to exterminate us and exterminate the Jews. And that's the way it was with Ananias. Lord, he's been trying to exterminate the church. The Lord tells him to go because he has a mission for Paul. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So this is important to our lesson today, too. So think about what Paul just did, the one who was persecuting the church. Immediately he stands. Can you, can you imagine the Jews around him? This is the man who came to persecute the Christians, but he stands in the synagogues and says, this Jesus whom I was persecuting, he is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He proclaims that. Paul's going to make an important point of this in our Galatians passage. That's why I'm trying to tie this together because Paul will tell us, 
I didn't get this gospel from anyone. I didn't get this message from Peter or James or any of the other apostles. The Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus delivered this gospel to me directly and I went immediately to the synagogues and proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, faithful Barnabas, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So some of this history, Paul's going to talk about again in Galatians 2, how he was saved. He went off into Arabia. He came back to Damascus. And then after three years, he went to Jerusalem. This is the story. He's talking about Barnabas took him up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. But everywhere now, Paul, who was the persecutor, he actually himself becomes the persecuted by the Jews. One last passage, and we're going to dig into Galatians. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. This is 1 Timothy 1. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So our short bio of Paul, but you should take hope, believers, because if God does this in the life of the Apostle Paul, he does this in the life of anyone. He takes the life of anyone and transforms them and makes them into godly saints who worship and serve him. You should take great hope in that. This First Timothy passage is a great encouragement to all of us. Okay, so let's take all of this that we've just read and thought about and let's go into Galatians because this is very important to the message Paul has for us in these verses, Galatians 1, 11 through 24. So let's, let's kind of review a minute. I know Wade's been talking about this, but the situation in Galatia, Paul had planted this church, right? But there were false teachers who'd come in, Judaizers, that is, false teachers who were zealous for the traditions of Judaism, the very thing that Paul had been saved out of, right? So this is keeping the law. So we could kind of think about what they might have been saying. They might have been saying, you know, this gospel 
that Paul preached is not enough. You have to be bad. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the traditions of Moses in order to truly be saved. So they had a problem, right? Because that was not the gospel that Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching the true gospel. That is salvation by grace through faith apart from the works of law. That's what Paul was preaching. That is the true gospel, isn't it? Jesus Christ saves us without our works, without any works. He saves us by his grace, by his work on the cross, by his resurrection, by, as Paul will say in Romans, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And there's no works in there, right? There are no works at all. Not baptism, not circumcision, not anything, right? It's belief and trust and faith in Christ. So the Judaizers had to kind of undermine Paul's message, right? They had to kind of deal with this because, I mean, he's not teaching the same gospel we're teaching. So how do you think, if you were a Judaizer, what might you have done to try to undermine Paul's message? You're trying to think through how can we say, well, this man's not teaching the, the full gospel, so to speak. What, what kind of things might you have said to the people in Galatia? How do people's messages get attacked? While you're thinking, I'll get a drink here. Never trust a teacher drinking from a Bucky's mug, right? So. <laughs> what might you have said to try to undermine Paul and to discredit Paul? That's, that's good. He's not abiding by the traditions of Judaism. That's right. Yeah. Undermine his character. Excellent. That's very good because that's, that's easy to do a lot nowadays, right? Some teachers' character is easily undermined, right? So they might, but they couldn't. Paul was flawless in this. There was nothing to undermine in Paul's. So that's really good. So you can't undermine his character. What other thing might you have said? Question his authority, right? Very good. Now, how can Paul do this? We know because Paul is considered an apostle because Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. So he had apostolic authority. What about his message? Tweak it. Tweak it, yeah. Maybe he got it wrong, right? I think that's maybe one of the things we could kind of infer reading this passage in Galatians is the Judaizers are saying, well, Paul just got it wrong, Right? He just got it, his message is not complete. He doesn't have the full gospel, so to speak. You know, and, and maybe it's because, <clears throat> you know, Paul didn't get saved in Jerusalem. He got saved out there in Damascus, on the road to Damascus. And um, maybe he just met with the Christians in Damascus and he didn't understand what they were saying. You know, maybe he went to the wrong Bible study, <laughs> you know, didn't have a good teacher. But maybe I think that's, Two, what was going on here is they were undermining the credibility of his message saying, Paul just got it wrong. Paul doesn't understand what is the true full gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to take that, that head on in these first couple of verses of Galatians uh, 1, verses 11. Let's, let me read those. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul is going to put forth two very strong proofs right up front that the gospel he preached to the Galatians is absolutely true. This is the gospel. There is no other. This is the true gospel. So first off, and it's kind of interesting, it's a play of words in the Greek, but the gospel he preached to them, actually in the Greek he says the gospel he gospeled to them. He's really emphasizing the gospel message, that is the good news, the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. These first set of words he uses are pretty strong. He says, for I would have you know. What do you think he's saying there? For I would have you know this, brethren. What's the importance of this? What is, why would he say that right off the bat? By saying you're Yeah. Yeah, listen up. That's, I think that's right, Drew. He's trying to get their attention. Right off the bat, he's trying to say, Listen up, folks. You need to know this. This is critical information that you have to understand. Not as though he hasn't told them this in the past, but Paul is coming back to remind them that this is critical information. So he goes on to say, what is this critical information? That the gospel which was preached by me, the gospel by me, is not according to man. So what does that mean when we say it's not according to someone what is Paul saying in that, that phrase? It's not according to man. Yeah. Yeah, not man-made. Good, good. It, it comes from, it does, it comes from a higher authority. And he's going to talk about that in just a moment. But this gospel, as I think as Carl said very well, what Paul is teaching us is this didn't come out of the origin of man's heart and mind and thoughts. It is not a gospel that is made by man, you know, like made in China, we see, like made by man. This gospel was not made by man. It is not by man. It is not by man's teaching. This gospel comes from somewhere else. And Paul will go on to say in the next phrase, which is very important, again, back to kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, thinking through how these Judaizers in the church might have been trying to undermine Paul and the credibility of his teaching. He goes on to say, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, right? So those are the two important things, right? He says, I didn't get this from any of the apostles in Jerusalem. I didn't get it from those Christians in Damascus when I was taken to Damascus, when I was blind those three days. They didn't come and have a Bible study with me. You know, I didn't receive it from them, uh, and I wasn't taught it. So I think this is very important because if he didn't receive this from man and the argument of the Judaizers is, well, Paul just got the message wrong, isn't this a pretty strong counter argument to that? You know, there's no possibility that I could have heard the message wrongly. There's no possibility that I could have just misunderstood what other Christians were teaching me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because again, that's what they were saying is, you know, Paul just didn't get it right. You know, really, you have to be circumcised to become a Christian. But Paul's saying, no, I didn't hear that because nobody taught me that gospel. So where did Paul's gospel come from? The end of verse 12. Paul, Revelation from who? From God, right, from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, there are times when Jesus Christ will do that. Think what other famous book towards the end of our New Testament talks about being delivered as a revelation of Jesus Christ. How about the very end of the New Testament? Revelation, yeah. In Revelation 1, John says that he received this from an angel, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we don't, Luke doesn't give us a lot of detail about all the message that Jesus Christ revealed to Paul, but somewhere, either on that Damascus road or in Damascus, Jesus Christ himself taught Paul the gospel. Jesus Christ himself revealed, delivered the gospel to the apostle Paul. So Paul says right up front, that's the source of the gospel. That's the source of everything I am teaching you Galatians. There couldn't be a more direct and authoritative source, could there? That Jesus Christ, the son of God, our Lord himself taught Paul the gospel. And that very gospel, Paul then delivered to the church of Galatia. And what is that gospel? Let me just back up and say, Paul didn't see a vision. He didn't see any kind of thing like that that needed interpretation. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ himself who delivered the gospel to him. And what is that gospel that Paul preached and taught? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, salvation by grace through faith. Paul talks of it, he describes it in many ways in his, gospel, in his, gospel, uh, his uh, letters. First Thessalonians, he calls it the gospel of God. And uh, he also calls it the gospel of Christ in First Thessalonians. The gospel concerning his son. He talks about it in Romans. But probably the greatest passage that we remember is First Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. There it is again, what I received, what he received directly from Jesus Christ that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That's the gospel that Paul delivered. We can't say that enough, but this is the gospel of the free grace of God through the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ apart from any works. So Paul now, so we'll continue on. Paul now is going to, in the next few verses, remind the Galatians this story of his former life and conversion and how God commissioned him directly to take this message to the Gentiles like the Galatians. So Paul is gonna tell them right up front, Listen to me, you Galatians need to know this. I didn't receive it from man. I received it directly from Jesus Christ. And guess what? My life is going to prove that this is the true gospel. And Paul is going to be very meticulous to talk about how, in fact, he was the violent aggressor. He was the persecutor of the church. He hated the church of Jesus Christ. And yet God snatched him out of that because God had a mission for his life. <clears throat> 
and that God used him mightily and that his gospel that he preached immediately, immediately after scales fell from his eyes, he was preaching in Damascus. He was preaching the same gospel that he has always preached, the true message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So verses 13 through 17, and I, these first couple of verses, verses 13 and 14, I call the eyes of Paul. And I think that's a word from John Stott and Leon Morris too, but these are the eyes of Paul. These are his former testimony. Verse 13, for you heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So that's why we read those passages in Acts so that you could understand even in greater detail exactly what Paul is saying is that he was incredibly zealous. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he said in the Philippians passage. He was rising among all the Pharisees. He tried beyond measure to destroy the church of God. And the, the, it's interesting, beyond measure, the word he uses in the Greek is the word hyperbole. We know what hyperbole means, right? It means an exaggerated description of something. Paul says, beyond measure, beyond what you can even imagine or measure, I tried to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And he's, that first Timothy passage we read, though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, the now dead New Testament theologian John Stott had a, had a great comment on this. He, Dr. Stott said, he made a career out of hunting Christians and he laid waste to the church. Again, that was Paul. And this is important, again, for the Galatians to understand this. Paul is not somebody who came up through the ranks of Bible study fellowship and <laughs> the church of Jerusalem or whatever. He was absolutely opposed to the church of Jesus Christ. He wanted nothing of it. In fact, he wanted it to be exterminated from the face of the earth. I was advancing in Judaism, he says in verse 14, beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition. So Paul was climbing up the ranks of the corporate ladder, right, of Judaism and Phariseeism. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and that was his goal. And the very fact that the chief priests had given him the arrest warrants, so to speak, to go to Damascus and round up Christians meant that Paul was highly esteemed among all the Jews and the Pharisees because they were letting him kind of take charge um, and letting him go and round up these Christians. So that's where Paul was headed. But God had other plans for Paul, didn't he? But God intervenes. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Thank God there is a but God moment, right? This is Paul's but God moment. We can think of Ephesians 2, 4. Paul would write these very words, but God who is rich in mercy, but God who is rich in mercy. And this is what Paul is saying, but God, but even, but when he, but God who had set me apart, you just think about that. God intervened in Paul's life. And not only that, 
What Paul is teaching us in these verses is, he set me apart from my mother's womb. God had planned this all along, right? God had planned from all eternity before the foundations of the world that this man named Saul would be a violent persecuted and aggressor, but he would be saved and he would become the great apostle Paul. You need to take encouragement in that too, believers, because realize no matter where you are and what your past has been, God has planned your life from before all eternity, hasn't he? He has a purpose and a plan for your life, just as he did for the Apostle Paul. And thinking back to the First Timothy passage, thank God for his mercy because God can take us from wherever we are, whatever he's brought us out of, and save us and use us mightily, mightily for his grace and glory. And again, this was God's purpose. Thank God for his divine purposes from before the foundation of the world. There are many people we can think about in the scriptures, the same thing, clear examples of God set them apart from the womb. David in Psalm 139 said that God had numbered his days, had set him apart in the womb. Same thing with John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, God had set him apart, prophesied of John the Baptist, set him apart from his mother's womb. Our Lord, our Lord, the Son of God, the same thing from all eternity, set apart in the womb of Mary. The next verse, he set, but when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased. These are the words of sovereign grace, right? These are the great words, the calling, the grace and the, and the pleasures of God. Think about it. God calls the dead. God called Paul. Paul's heart was dead to Christ. Paul's heart was violently opposed to Christ, but God calls the dead. Just like the Lord Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and called Lazarus out of the grave, God called Paul out of the grave of the deadness of the sin and the hostility of his life. And it's by his grace. And this is the message that Paul preached to the Galatians. It's all by his free, sovereign, unmerited grace. And it's for God's pleasure. It's for God's pleasure. All we do should be for the glory and pleasure of God. And it was God's pleasure specifically for the Apostle Paul that he might go through this life. God had a purpose for Paul to be the violent aggressor and persecutor. There was a purpose in God's sovereign plan for all of this, but it was also God's grace and for his pleasure that he would save this man. And he saved him for a purpose. He saved him that he might be called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Isn't that an irony? The Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of the church, isn't it a great irony? Because how did the Jews look at the Gentiles? Go ahead, what'd you say? Like they were scum. Yeah, they were, they were the goyim, they were the nations. They were just the dogs, basically. But isn't it amazing again, God's good pleasure that he takes this man and he saves this man and he then tells him, you're going to the Gentiles. My purpose for you, for your life is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So 2 Corinthians 5.14, I think is kind of a good summary of this. For the love of Christ constrains us, having concluded this, that one died for all, 
therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I think that kind of summarizes this, this gospel saving message that Paul received from God is that no longer he lives for himself, but he lives for him who died for him and rose again. So how did Paul respond to this glorious calling? He immediately proclaimed the gospel revealed to him without consulting with any man. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So again, this is where that Acts passage is really helpful to kind of dovetail all this together because, you know, um, he said immediately I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Luke tells us that in Acts, that he was out in the synagogues immediately proclaiming that he is the son of God. Can you imagine that rabbi, that Pharisee, looking back through all of the Old Testament now, who's looking at the passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and all the prophecies, and now saying, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. He is, in fact, the Son of God, and I met him on the road to Damascus. Um, but this was what Paul did. You know, it would have been natural, right? It would have been natural. People would have thought, Paul is saved, that maybe he should go to Jerusalem, because who was left in Jerusalem at this time? We, we're reading that in Acts. The persecution happened, Christians were scattered, but who was left in Jerusalem? The apostles, that's right. So it might be natural that Paul won because he had just been trying to exterminate the church, that he would go up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles at this point. Two, that he would go up to say, okay, teach me this gospel. Teach me this message. I don't know it. I've been living as a Pharisee and living as a Judaizer all these years. So teach me the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul says no, right? And this is another proof that the gospel he taught was true because he didn't need to go up to Jerusalem and learn it from the apostles. He had learned it from Jesus Christ himself. So this was his response. No consultation was needed with the apostles in Jerusalem. Christ had given him that gospel that he immediately preached, preaching that he is the son of God. And so then Paul tells us he went off into Arabia. So Arabia... If you read the New Testament scholars, it's, it's kind of this area south of Jerusalem. And the borders changed a little bit during these times, so the exact borders are not really known. But Paul went out into Arabia. Now, we don't know what he did in Arabia, but what can we imagine he did? Preaching the gospel. He was probably preaching the gospel and evangelizing wherever he was. But I also suspect that the great rabbi, too, was pouring back through all of the Old Testament everything coming to light. He was understanding everything now. Everything came into focus, everything into Christ-centered focus, because now he understood who is the Messiah. So it says he returned then once more to Damascus. So at some point, he went back to Damascus after he'd spent some time in Arabia. And then starting in verse 18 through the end of this chapter, he's going to give us another kind of meticulous timeline of his early ministry. Again, his important point here is that I am not trying to learn this gospel from anyone. But in fact, the fruits of my life 
the fruits of the gospel I am preaching are being seen everywhere. I am teaching the true gospel because people are being saved. People are being brought to Christ. Churches are being planted and people are hearing about it everywhere. So verse 18, then, at, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So I'll stop there. Cephas, you know, is Paul's favorite word for Peter. Cephas is just Peter, that's, but he always uses the word Cephas um, in his letters. And stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, who was the other famous James that had been living? There's James, the Lord's brother, and then there's the other James, the brother, John's brother, excellent, yeah. And what had happened to that James? Executed by Herod. So Herod had executed James. And you know that, you know that famous story is, is Herod saw how it pleased the Jews. This is Acts 12, I believe. And, and, and so he arrested Peter because I'm sure Peter was gonna have the burden of his shoulders relieved also. And uh, you know that famous story. And then so they're praying, the, the Christians are praying and the Lord gets Peter out of prison and Peter's knocking on the door and Oh, I'm Peter, I'm here. Well, we're praying that Peter be released. Well, I'm here. <laughs> you know? That's a great story. But that was, that was the other James. But this James is the Lord's brother. And so at this point in Jerusalem, it would be natural that Paul would want to see Peter and James because they were some of the leading apostles. Now, what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. So again, back to verse 18, what Paul is saying is, I made basically a brief trip to Jerusalem. And we know, if we look back at Acts, that Barnabas is the one who helped take him up to Jerusalem. Barnabas is that great, faithful, faithful minister and servant of the Lord, isn't he? Barnabas is always finding Paul and taking him somewhere and working with Paul and ministering to him. But Barnabas took him up to Jerusalem, as we, can, as we read in Acts, because, you know, obviously everybody's fearful of Paul because of his life. And this is just three years after his conversion when the bitter memories of what he had done to the church are still sure, very, very right in front of everybody's mind. But what Paul is going to say is, I went up there to meet them. And it would be natural, right? Because one Peter is probably the leading apostle, right? Peter was one of the three, Peter, James, and John. James is dead. Um, and Paul would want to meet Peter. He would want to meet the one who was so close to the Lord Jesus Christ for many reasons, but, but to assure Peter of his true conversion. I'm sure that was up, uppermost in Paul's mind. But he only spent 15 days with him. And Paul adds that bit of detail importantly. Why is that important? He only spent 15 days with him. It wasn't enough time to, what do you think? Learn, yeah, that's the point, Carl, very good. It wasn't enough time that Paul could have gotten a full New Testament exegesis course or Old Testament exegesis course from Peter, right? That's why Paul is saying he only spent enough time that he really could get to know Peter and just get to know him personally, but not enough time that Peter could have just taught him the gospel. Again, back to what the Judaizers were probably accusing Paul of. You Well, you just learned it from these apostles and you learned it wrong. Paul, again, is saying three full years before I even went to Jerusalem. And then when I went to Jerusalem, I only spent 15 days there to get to know Peter. 
And he says in verse 19, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And again, James would have been a leading apostle too, obviously the Lord's brother. By the way, what was the story of the Lord's brothers? Think about John 7. Did they always believe in him? No, they didn't, did they? They were later saved. At some point, they were later saved. They didn't believe him even. And John 7 is a great passage to that. But at some point, they themselves knew and saw and believed. And so that James, the Lord's brother, became one of the leading apostles in Jerusalem. So it's important for Paul, again, meticulously to lay this out, that he's not there long enough to learn. And he goes on to say, and he actually says this as, as an oath before the Lord, in essence, in verse 20. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. It's as though Paul is pleading with them from his heart. All of this is true. You have to understand this. There is no lie. There is no deceit coming from me. So then he's going to go on and talk about short visit to Jerusalem. Then he's going to talk about some of his travels. He left Jerusalem. You know, he's always leaving Jerusalem having been persecuted, right? <laughs> that's, that's again what happened, right? He's proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. And now he has to leave Jerusalem as we read in Acts and he'll go off to Tarsus. So he tells us, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And this, this is where I should have done the one PowerPoint slide, but if you, Syria is on the Mediterranean coast just above Israel. It's just north of Israel, right there on the Mediterranean course, coast. At the very top of Syria is the famous city Antioch. What's, what do we know about Antioch? Why is Antioch important in the New Testament? Somebody knows. I heard it. It's a church, right. It became Paul's sending church, so to speak. So I think it's likely and, and that Paul, when he went into Syria, he spent time at Antioch. And we know that at one point Barnabas, here comes faithful Barnabas again, Barnabas grabbed Paul and took him up to Antioch, you know, and linked him with that church. So maybe it was during this time, that's Acts 11. Maybe it was during this time that Paul became associated with that church in Antioch that became his great sending church. And Cilicia, so if you keep going up the coast of Israel, up past Syria and make that bend there, the Mediterranean's here, that's where Cilicia is. What was the capital city of Cilicia? Anybody know? Where was Paul's home? Tarsus, the capital, that's, that's, that's in, in Cilicia. So it might have been very natural, and we know Paul at one point did go back to Tarsus. So he probably spent time there in Tarsus, but I think he probably spent a lot of time in Cilicia and maybe also in Antioch. Verse 22, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And again, this is so important because Paul is saying, even through all of this, the churches in Judea and Jerusalem, they still didn't even know me face to face, who I was. There's no way I could have been spending a lot of time with them and learning the message of Jesus Christ because if they'd seen me on the street, they couldn't even have recognized me and known who I was. But this is the critical point. Verse 23, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Isn't that amazing? Again, Paul's ministry is so open, so visible. It's so vibrant wherever he is now, Damascus or wherever he is, that, that the message is spreading across, that this man, this man who was 
the SS chief rounding up the Jews, as it were, throwing him into prison to be executed. This man who was rounding up the Christians to have him thrown into prison is now preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was the outcome? Verse 24, and they were glorifying God because of me. They saw the truth of the message Paul was preaching. Not only that, they saw the power of God. They saw the power of God saving lives and changing lives and working through the life of this apostle Paul and they gave glory to God. What more stamp of approval do you need on your ministry and your message but that God is saving people through the message, through the thing preached and people are giving glory to God. So Paul is putting this in the face of the Galatians Look how God has worked through me, through my message, through my life. It's quite an amazing story. This is is kind of one of those passages, like I said, we don't want to just skip right through. Isn't there a ton of meat in this passage? A lot that we have to learn about the life of Paul, the message God gave to him. And this all sets us up, too, as we go into the next chapter, into chapter 2, because Paul is going to talk about how he defended this gospel Even when he went to Jerusalem and met with the apostles, he even confronted Peter when he felt like Peter was a hypocrite of the way he treated the Jews, the way he withdrew from the Jews, um, from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of the Jews. Um, This sets it up that Paul is independent. He is very independent because he is dependent on God. He is dependent on God for his message and everything in his life. So just a few applications. It's just about time for us to close of this passage. If I can turn my page here while holding my Bucky's cup. So the gospel, we've said this again and again, delivered by Paul comes directly from Jesus Christ and it's God's word to us. Paul's teachings have direct authority and infallibility of God. These are not Paul's opinions. And I think we have to understand that as we study the New Testament is many attacks on Paul. It's it's gone on forever because that's kind of Satan's modus operandi, right? To undermine the message of the gospel. But when we read Paul's teachings, his teachings are infallible because these came to him from God. These came under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and these are not Paul's opinions. Um, This is the teaching of the word of God. Paul's gospel is that of, as we've been saying again and again, faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection apart from the works of the law. And that is a timeless message to us even today. There is nothing we do before we come to Christ. We come to Christ, we believe in him. That's the salvation message. And the power of the gospel, as we've been saying, is to save sinners, even the worst of sinners. Again, that should give you hope in your life. It should give you great hope that if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. If God can take a man like Saul and make him Paul, think of what the Lord God can do in your life. As you serve in this church, what God has a purpose for you in your life and he can use you mightily in your life in this church and out in the world. Paul immediately obeyed the call of God for his life and preached the gospel. So Paul was immediately obedient to what God asked him to do. So I just, the last question I had is, what's God's calling for your life? What does God want you to do with your life? 
Not that he wants everybody to be missionaries, but he wants you to be a missionary wherever you are. He wants for you to be a missionary as a pilot or a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, or a carpenter, whatever you do in life, as a homemaker, you know, as a mother raising children. That's God's calling for your life. And Paul was immediately obedient to that calling in his life. Well, we're out of time, but this is a wonderful gospel message. This is a wonderful passage to teach us about the life of Paul and what he did in Paul's life and also the truth of the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed at your grace. And we think of those words, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Lord, we thank you that Christ died for us and rose again. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel that changes our lives. We glory in Christ Jesus. We worship in the spirit. Lord, may we do so this next hour as we hear Dusty preach, as we sing our hearts to you. May we encourage one another as a church. May we build one another up. May we strengthen one another. And we just praise you and pray in Christ's name, amen.